So this afternoon, we are continuing our series, working our way through the book of Job. We're asking the question, why do we face trials? Why do people who have been saved through Jesus Christ, who've been completely forgiven for all their sins as we were celebrating in worship with the celebration of communion, why do people who are adopted into God's family, who are loved by God, why do we face trials? Why? And the answers that God gives in the Word are not easy to embrace. They can take time to think deeply and to study the Scriptures and to pray earnestly, but it's important that we do that. Because remember we saw a few weeks ago when Paul was visiting the churches that he had planted, Luke gives us a one-sentence summary of the sermon he preached in each of those churches, and that sermon was, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That was his message to all the believers, and that would be his message to us. So we will face many afflictions, and we need to understand why. Let me tell you the story of a woman named Venetha Risner. Some of you maybe have heard of her. When she was just a little child, she came down with polio. If that wasn't tragic enough, she was misdiagnosed by the doctor, which complicated the situation terribly, caused her much more suffering. So she ended up having 22 surgeries by the time she was 13 years old. Then, because of the physical difficulties she had, she was bullied at her school. And it was during this season that somebody shared with her the good news of Jesus Christ, that He is Savior, He is Lord, He is our treasure, our prize. And she saw her sin, she saw Christ's saving work, and she put her trust in Him and was transformed, but her trials did not stop. She got married while in graduate school. They had a daughter named Katie. That was followed by the disappointment, though, of three miscarriages. And she got pregnant again and gave birth to a son who tragically died at two months old because of severe heart defects. Then over the next weeks and months after that, she started developing pain in her arms and increasing weakness, and she was diagnosed with what's called post-polio syndrome, which happens usually decades after someone has polio, and it can end up causing you not to be able to use your arms or your legs at all. So she's struggling with this pain and this debilitating condition. Didn't stop there. Then her husband decided he'd had enough, and he left her, divorced her, leaving her alone with their daughter and her debilitating physical condition. Trial after trial after trial after trial. And it makes sense that Venetha would ask God, why? Why all these trials? We're going to come back to her story in a little bit. But what we're going to focus on this afternoon is that there is a right way to ask God why and a wrong way to ask God why. And Grace Church, we want to be a people who ask God why. It's important to do that, but who ask Him in the right way. 
Job did not ask God why in the right way. We're going to see that, and we're going to learn from him. Now, let's recap the story of Job so you know what's going on. Here's a picture of what's happened so far in this book. Chapters 1 and 2, we saw that God has planned to give Job the honor of displaying his infinite worth to Satan, to all the angels, and to everyone who reads this book. And to do that, God brings massive trials to righteous Job. Remember, Job was the most righteous man in the whole world. And God purposefully allows massive trials to come to him. And Job grieves, mourns, weeps. You can imagine, he lost all of his children, all of his wealth. He's covered from head to toe with these horribly painful boils. He grieved, wept, mourned, and he worshiped. He worships God because he still has God. And when you have God in all of his glory, all of his power and fullness and presence and majesty, when you have God, you have everything. And so in his tears, in his sobbing, he worshiped God because he knew who God was. Then, after some time had gone on, Job started to struggle. The boils didn't go away. The suffering was continuing. And he starts to struggle in chapter 3 with, is there any meaning or purpose to these trials? Why am I suffering these trials? And in chapters 4 through 31, three friends of his show up, and they wrongly explain that the reason he's having these trials is because God's punishing him for some hidden sins. Must be. God never brings afflictions to the righteous, does he? They said wrongly. So he must be punishing you for your hidden sins. And through these chapters, we see Job asking again and again, why, why, why? But he's he's not asking rightly. We'll come back to that. Then in chapter 32 through 37, there's a young man who's been listening to this whole back-and-forth conversation between Job and his three friends. He's a young man, a humble, godly, young man, and he speaks up humbly, and he corrects Job, and he corrects Job's three friends. And he rightly explains that one of God's purposes, whenever he brings trials to his people, is to purify us, purify us even more from sin. Purify us even more from from sin. Because we all need this all the time, that we all have sin remaining in us, right? And so we all need this, and so God brings trials in His love, in His wisdom, in His care to purify us from our sin even more so that we will see Him even more clearly and know Him even more deeply and love Him even more fully. God does that. Now, let me just pause here. The purpose of trials in the lives of believers, that purpose is not punishment. That purpose is purifying, not punishment. All your sins have been punished in Jesus already because you're trusting Him. There is no punishment left for you for any of your sins. Jesus paid it all, like we sang tonight. 
So please get out of your mind any thought that if you're a believer and you're suffering, you're struggling, that it's punishment for your sins. It's all been paid for. It's not, it's not punishment. It's purifying us even more from our sin. Our sin in general, purifying, so that we can have even more of the joy of seeing Him, knowing Him, loving Him. Now, we might think that the reason Job had so many trials, because, I mean, he had a lot of trials, didn't he? We might think, well, that's because he must have had a whole lot of sin he needed to be purified for. That equation is not found in the Bible. Remember, Job was the most righteous man in the whole world. Job 1 and 2 is just amazing when you read it and think about it. The most righteous man in all the world, and God purposefully allowed him to suffer incredible trials. So understand, much suffering does not mean much sin. Are we clear? Are we clear, church? We, we talk about this every week because we're all kind of wired that way, right? That's not the equation. Much suffering does not mean much sin. If anything, much suffering means much purity, much purification coming, much of God's love because He's going to give you much more of joy in Him through that, that trial. Now, if that's the first time you've heard that, or maybe the third or fourth or tenth time, these things take time to think about and pray about and process. And that's what we're doing these weeks. Just, Lord, teach us. Help us to understand this. Help us to not just understand it, but to embrace it. That's what we're asking God to do here. This brings us to today's passage, Job 38 through the beginning of Job 42, where God speaks to Job first time in this book where God speaks to Job. Now, to understand this section and what God says to Job, we need to remember or look back how earlier Job was asking God why in the wrong way. We need to take a look at that so that we can, because that's what God is referring to then in tonight's passage. So let's ask, what was in Job's heart as he asked God why? We need to learn the wrong way to ask why, and then we want to learn the right way to ask why. So what was in Job's heart as he asked God why? The first place he asks God why is in chapter 3, verse 11. He was starting to struggle. These trials aren't going away. Is there any meaning? Is there any purpose to this? And look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 11. Why, there's that word, why did I not die at birth, coming out from the womb and expire? When Job looks at his life, here's my life, and all these sufferings that God has allowed to come to him, suffering, 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 loss, loss, loss. When Job looks at his life with all the suffering, he says, how's this worth living? What's the point of that? <laughs> this is just wrong. And that's what's in his heart as he says, why didn't you just let me die when I was born? It'd be better if you would have done that than what you're doing now. And so do you feel what's behind this question of why? That's not the right way to ask why. We see the same attitude in Job 10, verses 2 and 3. Job says this, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress 
to despise the work of your hands? God, do you think it's good to bring trials to your people? Do you think that's good? Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? You're bringing punishment to the righteous and you're just letting the wicked go and prosper? Does that seem good to you, God? Job just couldn't get it. Couldn't, it didn't compute to Job. And by asking God, do you think that's good? What's Job saying? God, that's wicked to do that. One more example. Job 21.4. He says, as for me, my complaint, is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient with God? Job's saying, I'm not just complaining against man here. I'm complaining against God, the one who says He is good and loving. But God, who says He's good and loving, has brought me all these trials. And it makes no sense to me. Why shouldn't I be impatient with Him? Why shouldn't I be angry with Him? So do you see what's in Job's heart as he's raising these questions of why? Now, he does say some good, true, right things in those chapters. It's, it's a battle. It's a struggle. I'm just giving you the bad side here, okay? But this was the wrong way to ask God why. He's angry at God. Now, you may have heard people say, there's nothing wrong with being angry at God. After all, God can take it. And of course, that's true. That's not the issue here, though. I mean, God can take anything, right? We're talking about God here. So the question isn't, can God take it or not? He can totally take it. The question is, is it right? Is it right for us to be angry against God? We need to understand that when we express anger against God, I mean, think about when you're angry about something, what you're saying is, that's wrong, right? That's what we're all saying when we are angry at something. That's wrong. And think about it. We're saying at that moment that we know enough and we see enough of the big picture of the, of the universe. We, we know enough, we see enough of the big picture to conclude that God is wrong. That When we're angry, that's what's going on. That in spite of the goodness God has displayed in creating the world and the universe and you and me, in spite of that amazing goodness God has displayed, in spite of the faithfulness to His people that God has shown throughout the Scriptures, in spite of the love that God has shown in sending His Son Jesus to the cross to save us, in spite of God's mercy in, through Jesus, forgiving all of our sins, we're seeing that in spite of all of that, we know enough to say to God, God, in doing this trial, in bringing this trial to me, you're wrong. You're not good. You're not faithful, you're not loving, you're not merciful in this, God. You are wrong in this. That's what we're saying. Now, I should say that if you are angry against God, don't pretend, okay, He knows. But it would be more appropriate to say, Father, I'm sorry, I am struggling here. Help me, help me to see, help me to understand. We'll come back to that. So that's what Job was saying. And how does God respond to him? 
God responds to him in great mercy and compassion and love. First, God has Elihu start to speak. And Elihu answers, God's question, answers Job's question. Job, read chapter 33 if you weren't here last week, but Job, one purpose that God always has whenever he brings trials to his people, the main purpose he wants us to focus on is that he's going to use this to purify you even more from sin in general, which we all still have, and we will have until heaven. He wants to purify you even more so that you can see him more clearly, know him more closely, have even more joy in worshiping him and trusting him. Job, that's the purpose that God has when he brings trials. So God responds by having Job, Elihu explain to Job why. We saw that last week. But God does not just want to speak to Job through Elihu. God wants to speak to Job himself. And that's what we see this week. God loves Job. God wants to help Job. So let's ask, how does God personally address Job? First, God says that Job's words have been wrong. God's direct, loves Job, tells him his words have been wrong. Look at Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, now pause there. This is the first time in the book of Job that God has personally addressed Job. And God speaks to him out of a whirlwind. God stirs up this massive storm, okay? And I don't know what that was like, can't imagine. But obviously, God wants to give Job a taste of his power, his immensity, his authority. And so he speaks to Job out of the, the whirlwind. And look at what he says, verse 2. Who is this? He's talking to Job about Job. Job, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, Job, your words have not shed any light on your trial. Your words have left you all the more in the dark about what's going on in your life. You've spoken without knowledge, Job. Then in verse 3, God says, Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. In other words, Job, you've raised a lot of questions. I'm going to answer your questions, Job. I'm going to answer you. Get ready. And God answers him. And for the next section, lengthy section, God is asking Job who he is in comparison with God. This is so important. This is so life-changing. To just step back and say, God, show me who you are in comparison with me. Open up the Scriptures. God, show me who you are. This is transforming, and we will see this transforms Job. Look at what God says. 
Start with verse 4. So God's asking Job, who are you in comparison with me? Especially, what is your knowledge, Job, and your wisdom and your understanding of the big picture in comparison to mine? That's what God's asking. Verse 4, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I created everything? In other words, tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line, the measuring line, which a builder would use upon it when it was being built? So where was Job when God created the earth? Job, where were you? Answer, Job was nowhere. He was not yet existing. When God was creating the world, Job was nowhere to be found. In other words, Job had nothing to do with creation. God is the only creator. So God is saying, Job, think about this now. Do you think that I, as creator of the universe, do you think that I might have more wisdom and understanding than someone I've created? Do you feel that? Job, think about me as creator of everything. Do you think I might have a more accurate big picture of what's going on? Than, than you do? And of course the answer is yes. Yes. But we can easily forget that, can't we? We all struggle with this, don't we? We're just like Job. That's what God is saying. Then look at what we read in Job 38, 12. I would encourage you to read this whole section on your own. I'm just going to pick out some of the high points. God says, have you commanded the morning since your days began? and caused the dawn to know its place? In other words, Job, have you ever commanded the sun to rise and the dawn to begin? No? Never? Job, I do that every day. Every day. And yet because you can't understand how I can be good in bringing you trials, do you conclude that therefore I'm wrong to do that? Do you know enough, Job, to do that? Verse 31, Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the, corn, the cords of Orion? Talking about the, the arrangements of the constellations here. Again, just how big God is to arrange all the stars in their place. Verse 35, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are, what do you want us to do? Is that what you do, Job? No, and this list just goes on and on and on and on here. Then, in chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, we see that Job is getting the picture. Okay, wouldn't you? Right? Verses 3 through 5, chapter 40. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account right? Oh, I'm small. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken out of turn, said things I had no idea what I was saying. I've spoken once, I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Job's getting the picture, right? But now God doesn't stop there. God loves Job. God wants to make sure Job really gets this. Oh, this is a vital lesson to learn for all of us. 
And so God continues. Verse 12, Job, can you humble the proud like I do? Answer, no. Job, can you save yourself? Answer, no. Verse 14, have you made anything like behemoth? Some kind of massive animal? Read about it. It's amazing. Job, I did. I made behemoth. Can you control Leviathan, a huge sea creature? Job, I can. And that brings God's words to a close. Ends right there for now. So what is God's point? Now, it's really important that we understand this. God is not saying, I'm so big, I'm so mighty, and my might makes me right, Job, whether you like it or not. That is not what God is saying here. Might does not make right. It's not what God is saying. What God is saying is that since he is so far above Job in wisdom and understanding and knowledge, Job should be more humble when he's not able to understand something like why trials. Because God is so far above Job in wisdom, knowledge, understanding, Job should realize the fact that I don't understand something doesn't mean God's doing something wrong. I'm just not understanding it yet. Imagine a three-year-old just having cut his finger badly, and his father takes him to the, to the doctor. But imagine that three-year-old accusing his father of not loving him because his father's letting the doctor poke a needle into, into, right around my cut, right? When, of course, he's going to be stitching up the cut. The point isn't that the father's might makes him right. The, the point is that the father has more wisdom and knowledge than the three-year-old has. So the three-year-old should, should trust his father even when it hurts, right? Even when it hurts. And we need to trust our father even when it hurts. So that's God's answer to Job. First, he has Elihu speak to describe the purpose of trials. Then God himself says, now, Job, you may not understand that. That may not make entire sense to you. But Job, think of how much more wisdom and knowledge I have. The fact that you don't understand it yet doesn't mean it's not true. Doesn't mean it's not loving doesn't mean it's not right. Doesn't mean the day won't come when you will thank me for it. That day will come, Job. So that's what God has said to Job. The fact that Job can't understand how these sufferings can be good and loving does not mean God is not good and loving. It just means Job can't yet understand. So how do God's words affect Job. This is the passage that Kristen read for us. Verses 1 and 2, start there. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know, so this is now Job's response. He's just heard this, what, two or three chapters from God. I know that you can do all things. New thought. God can do all things. What, would, what Job is saying is that God can do all things, even bringing trials to me in a way that is good and loving. God can do that. God can bring suffering to me in a way that is good and loving, as He has said He's done. God can do all things, even things I can't understand. Keep reading in verse 
2, second half of verse 2, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, since you have purposed in your love to bring me trials that will bring me great good. I don't understand how that can happen. How can that be the purpose you're going to bring up? Oh, but I understand you can do that. You can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Then at the beginning of verse 3, Job quotes God, what God had said about him earlier, and then Job reflects on it and admits that God was right. Let me show you what I mean. Beginning of verse 3, Job here is quoting what God said to him earlier. Who is this? This is God talking. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And then Job reflects on this, that God said that, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. God, you're right. I had no idea what I was talking about. Then in verse 4, Job again quotes what God said to him earlier. This is God speaking. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. That's God speaking. So Job is admitting that God did speak to him. God questioned him. And then in verses 5 and 6, Job explains how those words, what God spoke, have affected him. These two verses, verses 5 and 6, are some of the most important verses in the book of Job. Meditate upon them. Think deeply about them. Verse 5, I, this is Job speaking, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. Repent in dust and ashes. So, God's words have deeply impacted Job. Remember that Elihu had said that one purpose that God always has when he brings trials to his people is to purify us even more from our remaining sin so that we can see him more clearly. And here we see that's exactly what happened to Job. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. Just like Elihu said what happened. I'm seeing. It's beautiful. We can move from knowing things about God to saying, now I see, I get it, I understand. That's what happened to Job. So here's the big picture of what we've seen in Job so far. We've, I've, we've already talked about chapters 1 through 37. So in chapter 38, verse 1, through chapter 42, verse 6, God corrects Job, calls Job to humble himself, humbly trust him, and Job does in response to God's words. Now, Grace Church, what does this mean for us? Big passage, weighty passage. What does this mean for us? Let me give you three takeaways to ponder. First, when you wonder why you suffer, Turn to the Scriptures. Turn to the Scriptures. God speaking to us. This is the Word of God. This is the clearest way you'll ever hear God speak. The Bible. Perfectly truth, perfectly true words from God. So when you struggle with why you suffer, turn to the Scriptures. Do that when, when big trials come, like you lose your job. Oh God, show me afresh what's going on here. Do this for big things. Do this for small things. Traffic jam, okay? Nothing's too small. 
big or small. And, and don't say, bad luck. Can, can we be clear? There is no such thing as bad luck, okay? No such thing as good luck. Luck just means like happenstance things that happen. God is in control of everything. Everything has meaning and purpose because it's all under God's sovereign authority. It's not karma. We don't believe in karma. Praise God, there's no karma, right? Jesus took our karma upon himself. It's not Friday the 13th, that, that's it, right? No, it's not, no black cats, no, it's none of that stuff, okay? Or it's not, well, just random bad things happen. No, they don't. Not, nothing is random. The universe is full of meaning. Everything has purpose. Everything does because God has infused everything with his purposes. Turn to the scriptures. God has not left us in the dark. He's told us why he purposefully allows trials into the lives of his people. Second, humbly trust what God says in his word. It's going to be hard to read some of these things, especially when you are in the thick of a heartbreaking trial. You haven't really thought about it much before. That won't be easy, but humbly trust what God says in His Word. He says, all things work together for good. It's all going to work together for you seeing even more of Jesus' glory, shining even more with Jesus' glory, being conformed even more to Jesus' glory, being glorified in Jesus' glory. It's all going to work towards that. All things work together for good. God promises. Or like we saw in James chapter 1 last week, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the, the testing, the refining of your faith produces endurance. And let your endurance have its perfect result. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's all going to move towards glory, towards heaven. You'll be holding God even more clearly and rejoicing in Him even more deeply. So humbly trust what God says. Or as Elihu put it, every time God brings a trial, Job, it's going to pull you back from sin. It's going to purify you from sin. It may purify you even more from that general sin that you have in you. So trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. Now again, I just want to say this, I keep saying this, and I'm going to keep saying this. The fact that God's purifying you from sin does not mean that the more suffering you have, the more sin you must need to be purified from. Who was the most righteous man in all the world back at that time? Job. Who suffered more than anybody else we read about? Job. Church, think about that. Think about that. We need to really embrace that. Like Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Third, use your sufferings to draw you closer to Jesus. Now, this does not mean that you've got to figure out which sin God's trying to purify you from, why that trial came, which one was it. That's not, we're not talking about that. The Holy Spirit, if there's some specific sin He wants to convict you of, the Holy Spirit will convict you of that specifically. We're talking here about there's sin in general that we all have, that whenever any trial comes, it's like, yes, Lord, purify me. Do your purifying work. I'm going to set my heart all the more on you right now. Purify me. It's not like I've got to figure out, is there some specific sin I'm not aware of? The Holy Spirit will make that known to you if you need to have that be made known to you. Trial, trials do not necessarily mean that at all. It's sin in general that we all need to be purified from. So trust, use your sufferings to draw you closer to Jesus. Now, let me tell you how Venetha Risner experienced that. Remember Venetha? Polio? Misdiagnosed? 
22 surgeries before she was 13, bullying at school, three miscarriages, the death of her two-year-old son at two months, post-polio syndrome, deserted by her husband, trial after trial after trial after trial, year after year after year after year. Sounds like Job. And she struggled with the question, why? Here's how she describes her struggle. This is what she was saying to God. She's talking to God here in this paragraph. Why? Why did all of this happen to me? If you are so loving, why did I get polio? Why have I had to struggle my whole life? How can you possibly be good? Sounds like Job, right? She's struggling here. But then she turned to the Scriptures. She opened God's Word. She saw God's purpose. Here's how she described what happened. This is amazing. She says, To some, the words of Scripture may seem puzzling, maybe even disturbing, but when they are spoken to you by the God of the universe, those words change everything. Many of you have experienced that, right? The power of the Word of God changes everything. It was the most amazing moment of my life. I will never forget it. Even now, as I remember that morning when she was opening up the Scriptures, it brings me to tears. Just as God opened the eyes of a blind man to bring glory to himself, God was opening my eyes. For the first time, I could see him, sense his presence, understand he was real. Now, now pause there. I want to make sure we understand when Job talks about seeing God, when Elihu says trials will purify you so you can see God more clearly, when Venetha Risner talks about seeing God, nobody's talking about physically seeing God. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 talks about the eyes of our hearts. And you've experienced this, haven't you? Where you, you knew something, but, but now you see. I get it. Right? That's what Elihu is talking about. That's what Job is experiencing when he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I get it. And that's what Venetha Risner is saying here when she says, God was opening my eyes. For the first time, I could see him, sense his presence, understand he was real. So I say, church, open the word of God when you're going through trials. Open the scriptures. God, I don't get it. I'm really struggling here. Help me see. Meet me in the word of God. He will meet you. And here's how she concludes. Leaning into Jesus, I have discovered that He alone is my greatest treasure, and walking with Him is my greatest joy. Transformed her. The Word of God transformed her. She was walking with her treasure, Jesus. It's beautiful. So, when you wonder why, turn to the Scriptures. Second, humbly trust what God says in His Word and linger 
over it. Say, Lord, show this to me. Help me to get this. I'm struggling with this. Teach me your word. Cry out to God. He will meet you in the scriptures. And then third, use your sufferings to, to draw you closer to Jesus. Press in. Press in. Take your trust out of everything else. Put your trust all the more upon. Remember the super piling from last week. Trust him all the more. He will meet you. I'd heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. Again and again and again, fresh revelation where we're, I'm, I get it, I get it. Time and time again, we've, all, we've experienced this dozens and dozens of times in our lives. Let's keep going, trusting the Lord for our trials, trusting the Lord for His purposes in our trials. Let's stand together. I want to pray this for us. Father, I pray that you would especially touch those here who are going through difficult, heartbreaking trials, work difficulties, difficult managers, job uncertainty, financial pressures, health issues, relational conflicts, battles against temptation, family struggles. Oh, Lord, all the different kinds of struggles we can face. Lord, right now, pour your comfort upon them. Pour your grace upon them. Lord, help them to see even more clearly you in your glorious love and mercy in Christ and your wise and loving purposes. Oh, God, and teach us all, Lord. Let us be a church that asks you why in the right way humbly opening the scriptures and saying, Father, show me why. Remind me why. Meet me here. Lord, pour this out upon us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.